Okay, cool. Um, there was a certain rich man which had a steward, and the same was accused unto him that he had wasted his goods. So you've got to follow the story here. Uh, an owner of a property, an owner of a business, rather, a, a pretty big corporation, finds out that a, the steward or the manager that's overseeing it has wasted his goods. Verse 2. And he called him and said unto him, How is it that I hear this of thee? Give an account of thy stewardship, for thou mayest be no longer steward. Then the steward said uh, within himself, What shall I do? For my Lord taketh away from me the stewardship. I cannot dig, and to beg I am ashamed. I am resolved what to do. That when I am put out of the stewardship, they may receive me into their houses. So he called every one of his Lord's debtors unto him, and said unto the first, How much owest thou unto my Lord? You see where he's going with this one. (laughs) And he said, An hundred measures of oil. That's like, Three years of wages for an average worker in that, in that day and age. To, to give you some context, how much that would be worth. He said, a hundred measures of oil. And he said, take thy bill, sit down quickly, and write 50. Right or wrong? Okay, all right, we'll see. <laughs> then said he to another, and how much owest thou? And he said, a hundred measures of wheat. And he said unto him, take thy bill and write four score. 20, 40, 60, 80. Not as big of a break, but 80 instead of 100, right? And the Lord commended the unjust steward. Does that make sense? And the Lord commended the unjust steward because he had done what? Wisely. For the children of this world are in their generation wiser than the children of what? Light. And I say unto you, make to, <laughs> make to yourselves friends of the mammon of unrighteousness, that when ye fall, they may receive you into everlasting habitations. He that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much. And he that is unjust in the least is unjust also in what? In much. If therefore ye have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, oh, here we go, who will commit to your trust the what? I'm geeking up here. If ye have not been faithful in that which is another man's, who shall give you that which is your own? It's going to get real, I'm just telling you. No servant can serve what? For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. Ye cannot serve God and mammon. Now, if I had a dollar for every time I heard that scripture, without the context of the story that Jesus just told, I'd be a rich man. I would be a manager of many. (laughs) Oh, you can't serve two masters, God or money. How many times have we heard that? But have we heard it in the light, in the context of that crazy story that we just read? Well, you're about to. <laughs> and the Pharisees also, who were covetous, what is it? Heard all these things. So which one of y'all are the Pharisees today that heard the story that we just read? <laughs> who were covetous, heard all these things. And they derided him. And said unto him, 
ye are, uh, ye are they which justify yourselves before men, but God knoweth their hearts, for that which is highly esteemed among men is abomination in the sight of God. The law and the prophets were until John. Since that time, the kingdom of God is preached, and every man presseth into it. Let's read two more. And it is easier for heaven and earth to pass than one tittle of the law to fail, or like one period in the sentence, in the books. Whosoever putteth away his wife and marrieth another committeth adultery. Whosoever marrieth her that is put away from her husband committeth what? Adultery. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we love you. We thank you for your goodness and your grace. We're approaching a weighty passage, which is every passage. We need your help. We need your Holy Spirit. Father, I feel your spirit in, in worship and just in gratitude here uh, in our church. We, we are just broken people, Father. We're broken people coming together, uh, praying for healing, praying for you to make us one, to make us whole so that we can be used. We're, we're asking you, Father, to patch the holes in our soul and in our spirit, Father, this morning so that we can pour out this week to a lost and dying world. Without you, without your Holy Spirit, we are nothing. Without you, without your Holy Spirit, Father, this, this word is nothing. It is just words on a page. It is not an alive book that will transform our lives. So we ask that your Holy Spirit move in our midst. Father, open our eyes that we may uh, behold wondrous things out of thy law. Father, uh, put this together for us. I know this story has become clear in my heart and in my mind. I pray that uh, it would become clear to our church uh, as I try to administer this to them. In Jesus' precious and holy name, amen. Okay, uh, we're coming out of, remember, these are three weeks that we're putting together, okay? Remember, and I know you're going, how are we going to put this together? How are we going to put the story of a father and two sons, a story of an unjust manager, and then next week, just so you know, the, the last passage is the rich man and Lazarus, which is about hell. So if you don't know what hell is, come next week. We're not turning the air on. We're going to just leave it hot in here, and you're going to have to endure it. And if you don't show up, I question your salvation. No. Uh, I'm just kidding. But the point of it is, is how, how is the pastor going to weave together a tale of father and two sons, the one I'm about to tell you, the unjust manager, and the rich man in Lazarus, the story on hell. I'm, it's going to happen. I promise you. It's going to come to fruition. This week, you should begin to see it. Because if you think about how the last story ended, remember there's tension. Remember it's unresolved. Remember it used to be when you were told in Sunday school that it was about the prodigal, but hopefully last week you learned that the story is not necessarily all about the prodigal. It's about the one who didn't get it, who was the who? The older brother. So we're left with the tension at the end of chapter 15 with Jesus talking about this older brother, and he purposefully does not say that he gets it. He purposefully does not say that the older brother repents. He doesn't say that the older brother makes amends with the father who entreated the son to come into the house. It doesn't. We don't know if there, if there is an ending that, that was good. We just assume that it's bad because that's how Jesus left it. And, and you know, <laughs> today, yes, we're going to get into the context of money, 
and, and you all should be thankful that what we do here at Bethlehem is we just preach the Bible. I literally just, we pick a book and we preach through the word of God. So therefore, you can't say that pastor always preaches about money and pastor always harps on money. I don't. I just preach the next what? Passage. If the next passage talks about money, guess what? We're going to talk about money. Uh, so that's that. So that's the context that he leaves us hanging on last week was he's challenging us. He is literally putting his finger in the face of the Pharisees who we see are still what? They're still listening. They're still hearing what he's saying in this story. And he says, how about the older brother? What about the guy who's got everything but is doing it for the wrong motive? What about the guy, I'm going to call it older brother syndrome. What about the fella, sorry Jose, I'm everywhere on this outline. I promise I'm going to come back to it. But what about the guy, uh, I tried to control my slides last week and that's why it was a train wreck. I was up here, (laughs) anyway, he's back to doing his, what he's good at. So anyway, because I don't follow my outline completely sometimes. I know that's hard for you to believe, but anyway, it's there as a shell. But the point is, is that the older brother, the older brother is in this moment where he found himself saying, you've never killed the fatted calf for me. He was desirous of something that he did not have, which means he was not grateful for what he what? Did have. And the younger brother said, I want to exchange what I have for something that I what? Don't have. The point is, is that the older brother was in the same exact position as the younger. He just wasn't surrounded by prostitutes. He doesn't have the Instagram uh, feed to prove it. You know what I'm saying? Check out my Snapchat. It is off the hook. You know what I'm saying? We're living it up. How many of you don't have the Snapchat that's off the hook? You haven't uh, been, you know, wasting all of your money on on strippers, because that's literally what he did, right? But, but, you're in the same place in your heart. And my point last week is that the younger brother gets it right. The younger brother finds justification. The younger brother finds the Lord. The younger brother finds a seat at the table again. And the older brother doesn't. So my point is, is stop being a Pharisee. Stop having the older brother syndrome. And the very next story that Jesus jumps into that he tells is about money. Coincidence? Yes or no? No! The older brother is the one sitting there. The dad says, it's all yours, son. It's all yours. It's how you use it, how you look at it, how you're approaching it, and how you steward. That's what we're about to talk about. What it is that you have. I'm telling you, some of you guys are going to see this story in a light that you've never seen before. I did. You're going to be approached with something that is so transformational. It is so next level. I hope and pray that you'll embrace it, okay? I need a sip of coffee before I jump into it. All right, here we go. We're going to talk about the good life. We're going to talk about the good life this morning. What does it mean to have what you want and want what you have? What does that mean? Do we even know? Do we even know what that's like? I'm afraid that we, Georgia, good to see you. Sorry. Do we even know what it's like? Sometimes I just sit on my front porch and write. Just music, whatever it is, whatever comes out. Just how many do that? Just sit and write. Some of you, too. (laughs) Love you, bro. That's why we get along. I just sit there and write. Let me just share it with you. Can I share it with you? Is that okay? 
I got to find it. This is not in the script. See, this is what I'm talking about. Let me see if I can find it. I might not be able to find it. It's in here somewhere in my, in my Evernote. Some, some thoughts that I've just had recently, and I think it's obviously because I'm along the lines of, of these studies. See if I, can, I know it's like right here. Ah, here we go. You ready? Is it just pinning, just thinking about this. Our prized possessions are things we have but don't want. Just, this is just writing, okay? This isn't part of the Bible, but just my thoughts about where we are and what I'm seeing in, in the culture today. If we didn't have them, we would want them or see them in court. It's a little weighty, sorry. We live to have and forget what we got only to learn that it's the want that makes us get up. This would be the chorus. I don't want to buy that house until I can make the bet I have. I don't want to take a vacation just to experience an alternative. I don't want my kids to get older wishing them younger. I want to have what I want and want what I have. That's my heart's desire. But how many of us see people that are caught up? It's the want that is driving them. And when they have it, they what? Want something else. What is the end to this? Is there? Is there not? That mentality, I mean, I gotta go back to what I think I'm here to preach a sermon. <laughs> that mentality, we can call it the older brother syndrome, right? He was stuck in the motions, but the next parable that we talked about, he was on the last week of his job. Do you see the contrast? Older brother stuck in the motions. Stay with me, y'all. New story, it was his last week on the job, right? Older brother, unwilling to celebrate wins. The next guy was celebrated for doing the wrong thing. Right? Mind blown? Like, how do we grasp this? Wait a minute, no, Pastor Matt, you're wrong. Like, the older brother had it right. He was faithful, he showed up, he did his thing. He, he was the one who you could count on. You're right. And he was also unsaved. The next guy did the wrong thing. And he was celebrated. How do we, some of y'all are like, burp. How do we justify this? I'm going to help you justify it. I'm going to help you not only justify it, I'm going to help you see why this was celebrated. 16 of the 38 parables from the Lord Jesus talk about money. 16 of 38. The Bible contains 2,000 references to money and wealth. That's twice the amount of verses speaking on faith and prayer. Just in case you're wondering. I, anyway. <laughs> Matthew 6, 20 through 21 says, Where your money is going, your heart is propelling. Deuteronomy 8, 18 says, The Lord is giving you the power to make wealth. If you're, if you're in a position that you're, in, you're enabled to make money, God has given you that power. How do we reconcile these thoughts that my heart, my emotions are propelling my finances? They are pushing them in the direction that I am wanting. 
And from that, we have to understand that I'm able to get to allow that propulsion to happen because God ordained it. God gave you the ability to make wealth. God gave you the ability to get up in the morning. He gave you the breath in your lungs. If he gave you the breath in your lungs, he gave you the understanding. He gave you the faculties that apply to your life, just like he gave you the faculties to raise a kid or to have a marriage or anything. We cannot isolate this thing and create a, a uh, uh, this this part of it, this aberration of our lives that is separate from God, and that's what we've done. The good life is separate, and what I do is I live for God, and I ask permission from him. Our prayer lives are spent wondering if we're doing the right thing because we need permission from God to enact or act on the things that he's given us. It seems to me that the two could work together a lot better. It seems to me that if he's talking 2,000 references on finances, it seems to me if 16 out of the 38 parables are on money, that he had a vision for how this was supposed to look. And here we are 2,000 years later, meeting in a church. The word of God is being brought to you, brought to your ears through a system that he established. Hmm. If God gives you the power to make something and you enjoy that something without God, then you are only using God and not serving him. I told you it was going to be a little little rough this morning. Ah, This is some 40 grit sandpaper here for you. Next week we'll go to 220, all right, where you can handle it a little bit. We'll refine it. This week's 40. We're being abrasive. I'm just kidding. Next week we're talking about hell. How much more gritty can you get? Woo! Y'all just buckle up. Here's the story specifics, because I I want you to understand this. How many of you are confused about the story? To be honest, it's okay. The rich man tells the guy, it's your last week on the job. The guy (laughs) squanders a bunch of stuff, and the rich man goes, that was really smart. Remember, this is a parable, a story. Jesus is trying to convey a meaning, right, truth. How many of you think it's a little messed up, what what just happened in this story, right? Okay, Just, just, I need to say this. This is not an excuse to go embezzle money, okay? (laughs) This message, if you tone me off or if you have to leave and go somewhere and go get in your car, on the podcast, there's more to this. Please listen to the end. This is not a license to go embezzle money, all right? Here's the story specifics. A rich man was firing the man that managed his assets. Some things to kind of take culturally are the understanding. With this being so broad, We understand that this man had tons of money, tons. This was an operation that the man was so rich he did not have to be involved in. He had so much wealth, he paid someone who we know by the story was unable to dig, right? Remember, when he was getting fired, I'm unable to dig, and it would be be a shame for me to go do laborer work. He paid someone who was an executive level director who could uh, continue to grow this man's wealth, and this man did not live there. We have about a week, and pretty much scholarship uh, that I've leaned into for this story say that there was probably about a week that this man was so tied in with this man's stuff that he allowed for him to have a chance to... Uh, basically build a case for himself, and I'll be there in a week. So the man was living on an island somewhere in Jamaica, okay? Uh, Even though I don't think that was settled yet, but you get what I'm saying. Uh, The man was a long ways away. He was very rich, very wealthy, and this man was running that. So my first thoughts were like, you know, like, bro, fire him on the spot. 
don't give him an opportunity to dig back in the books, right? You know what I mean? But it, it's a story. Jesus is trying to show us something. And if we have ears to hear, we'll hear it. Okay. So anyway, story, story specifics. The manager was accused, was left in his position for a few days, and becomes resourceful. This is so good. He becomes resourceful with his final days at the job. The manager cooks the books to gain favor with the rich man's debtors, to pave the way for a future job and what? Career. Let me tell you this. Money is a temporary commodity. Relationships are for a lifetime. This man knew he didn't have anything moving forward. He knew that he had done wrong. He knew that he was unable to, and and even, oh my goodness, what if he says, what if he tells the next company that I'm going to go to what I did? This isn't going to work. I can't dig. I'll pretty much be, I can't beg. I'm literally in a position that I'll have to commit suicide. I have to do what I need to do to survive. I know what I'll do. I'll build relationships based off of wealth that I have from my I'll build relationships that will last beyond this short time that I have that will carry me through and allow me to survive. Does that sound familiar? He used the money to gain influence. Colossians 3.2, turn there. I didn't really plan to go to this passage, so I don't think it's in there, Jose, I'm sorry. But I, I want you to see it. Colossians 3, 2. Set your affections on things what? Above. Not on things on the what? On the earth. He used his money to gain influence. This life is to be leveraged for the kingdom. Hopefully this starts to come into view for you a little bit. Does it sound familiar? You were destitute. You had nothing. Nothing. Then came Jesus. (laughs) I bowed on my knees and cried holy, right? I mean, think about it. Seek ye first the, and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Could it be that we need to look at ourselves like it's our last week on the job? Could it be that we need to find ourselves in a position that is without, in a position that says, all my chips, the only thing that matters is what's coming because here is imploding, here is going down. Nothing good can come. It's over with. I made my mistakes. The only thing I can do is put my trust in what's coming. Now you see what the story says. Now do you see it? And when the Pharisees just overheard it, yeah, okay. Why? They valued their possessions. This was it for them. They got up to live a good life so that they could earn, so that they could stack. Man. There is so much here. I could preach probably for like six months on money, 
based on the count of how many verses, right? You get the point. But I want this to set the stage for you to, to look at it differently. Lay up for yourselves treasures in what? Heaven. Where thieves don't break through and steal. Where things don't corrupt it. Don't stack your money here. That's, that's the connotation. The words, if you go beneath the surface of the language bar- barrier, lay up there. Stack your money there. Put them all in order to where you sit back, excuse me, monitor, where you sit back and you go, check this out. God says, don't do that down here. Don't do that down here. You know, the problem is, is this is not the good life to us. The good life to us is, all right, listen, son and daughter, you're going to go to college for, you know, 30 years, because that's how it works these days. (laughs) You're going to owe $1 million, and it's okay, because Bernie Sanders is going to get elected and wipe it all out. (laughs) I don't know. I'm just saying. Nobody knows. Listen, I'd go to college, too. The point is, is we have, we have, forgive me for being a little raw here, we've screwed it up. We've twisted our kids ten ways to Friday and set them up for complete failure. Stack it. This is how you have your things in order. But you go to church and you live for Jesus and you, uh, they can't be two different lanes. Now you see what I'm talking about. You cannot serve God and mammon. Now it's in context for you. Live like it's your last day on the job. That means you're not serving God and money. How many of you are just stacking your monies, man? I got this. Stack. I'll never forget. I did an interview one time. I forgot about this until I said it. But I had an interview with this young lady. And it was for a position that I, I was looking to fill a team. And I interviewed probably 20 people a week for a good solid period of time. High turnover position, constantly building teams and and sending them all all over the state. And this one girl, she was like, let me tell you something. I stacked my money. (laughs) It just stuck with me. You know what I mean? And I'm like, you know what? We need to hire her. She's going to go for it. She's going to go for it. Anyway, it's all about perspective. All right, I'm going to dig in with you. You ready? I don't, think you're, I don't think you're ready, to be honest. But How many of Jesus came down himself and sat next to you and said, this is how I want you to live tomorrow? Would you do it? I don't think you would. Because as a pastor, I've watched over and over and over and over again, people hear what's in the word of God, and they see it in written form, and they literally don't do it tomorrow. That's my biggest concern as a pastor. People who don't change. People who hear truth and act like they're hearing it, but their life says otherwise. My heart breaks for that. Here's why my heart breaks for that. Because next week we're going to talk about hell. That's why the two connect. I just gave the farm away. There's a bigger reason for you to get what I'm saying today. There's a bigger reason for you to live like it's the last day on the job because it could be the last day on the job. God could come back tomorrow. What have you done? Man, I'm sorry, Jose. (laughs) Noteworthy. 
He used money to gain influence. Let me ask you this question. How, this is mind-blowing, right? This story, how do you view the gospel? Let's get a little dialogue. Jeez, it's 12 o'clock. How do you view the gospel? Someone, when I say the gospel, what does that mean to you? Good news. Work of God. Yeah, it could be the broader, the kingdom work. The good. So let's time to get passion. It's time together. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus is the good news. And that news works a work in our world today. That's the gospel, right? Now, how do you view that practically? That's what it is, but how do you view it in your lives? Someone give me a way that you view the gospel in your life. Chuck? Change. So life change, going from being a consumer to a contributor. Someone else, how do you view the gospel in your own life? Someone else. One more, if we have one more. In the back, Pastor, is that Pastor Ray? Yes, sir. Go for it. Scripture. That's right. He views the, views the gospel in his life as the Bible. That's pretty healthy, right? Anyone else? I said one more. All right. Never mind. How do you view the gospel? All right, you ready? In this context of the story, number one, money is revelatory in nature. And number two, loving money is a constant danger. So I'll tell you how you view the gospel. How does your money look? Oh, the Bible shows me all the the things that are awesome and and I love people. And Mr. Chuck does love and and does show an example in all these ways that we're talking about this morning, which is why I lean into him for leadership. Hashtag leadership lean in. He's awesome. But it's true. We think about the good news and flowers and all these things, but when it comes to finances, I sure love the Lord. (laughs) You don't love the gospel. If you're not living the day, if you're not living today like it's the last day on the job, you don't love it. The bottom line, Pastor Matt, I just, I don't have anything to give. Have we talked about amounts yet? No. Are we going to talk about amounts? No. The widow, right, that gave what? All she had. And then Zacchaeus, who we'll talk about in a few weeks, who literally took all of his wealth, cut it in half, gave 50% of it away, and said, hey, anybody in town, if I've done you wrong, I'll give you four times the amount back. Woo! Did he believe the gospel, yes or no? 
Yes, it changed his life. Why? Because number one, money is revelatory in nature. Number two, love and money is a constant danger. We have to get to the place where we see if we're going to live every day like it's our last, our money's going to show it. What do we get paid when we go to work? We get paid for our what? Our labor, which is our what? It's our time. It's our life. You work. You spend your life, and that is determined with a dollar amount of what you're worth. How much of your life do you give? Money is revelatory in nature. Maybe some of you have never heard this before. It can be shocking. It can be a lot to swallow. But it's truth that I have to preach. My wife and I have lived this since we were babies. It's easy for us. Beyond easy. Because it's ingrained in who we are. When I made a dollar, I put a dime in the plate. That's what my dad trained me to do. And we'll talk about this in weeks to come, how that can also be bad. Really bad. (laughs) Very unhealthy, which is what the Pharisees were doing. I give my tithes. That's not what we're talking about here. I give my tithes. I'm not preaching this. Trust me, it would really help. Based on uh, the, literally, like, probably 10% of you give out of the the full that come. So if everyone in the church decided to give 10% of their income, we would literally be able to build a new building, hire staff. We would be able to reach this community. I believe that. I believe that everything that we need is in this room. It's not outside of the room. The local church was God's plan. This was God's plan. Therefore, I know it works. Right? It's not my plan. Right? Oh, I want to do more. Pastor Matt, and trust me, like, people have so many ideas, and they're all really good. And I'm like, I'm an ideas guy, too. Just give, and we'll make it happen, okay? It's not ideas. It's not methodologies that keep us from doing the work of God. It's pretty simple. It's money. So let me ask you this question. How do you view the gospel? Well, I have a pretty high view of it. How much have you given to it? Okay, all right, cool. Enough said. Uh, Number two, how do you have the proper view? I'm not going to just lead you out into the wilderness and leave you there to, to, to die, so to speak. I want to lead you to a place where we really can come together with this. Here's how I believe we we have a proper view. Number one, give happily. Give happily. (laughs) So let me, let's bring the, stay with me. Let's bring this story into this context, right? How happy was, (laughs) how happy was that guy to say, how much does the boss, how much do you owe the boss in oil? A hundred, like, measures? How about 50? Does that sound good? (laughs) Slash. Hey, remember who gave you a discount? Love you! No, I got a job there. How much wheat did, did, how much do you owe? A hundred measures. How about 80? Woo! Remember who gave you that discount? (laughs) It's kind of funny. The guy was like, dude, that was smart. You know what I'm saying? You made yourself bad. Now, come here. (laughs) Anyway. Listen, listen, Linda, look it. 
give happily. Y'all aren't getting out of this one. You're not laughing your way out of this one. Stay with me. Give happily. That man was happy to give it away. It wasn't his. I could spend 20 minutes and show you from the Bible that your money isn't yours. That breath you just took, it wasn't yours. You're living on borrowed time. And some of us are running amok. We're, we're just running that prodigal lifestyle over here. And some of you need to come to yourself. Some of you need to understand that you've been living a long time in a country that you're not a citizen of. And Jesus is standing there showing you the sacrifice that he made. He paid the price. He put up the money. He gave it all. And he's standing there going, I foot the bill. I got all the gospel right here. Write the stinking check. He, in, in confidence, in Luke 3, said, give and it shall be given. It's a picture with a woman that has a, a, a big old robe on that walks up to the market and she makes a big old bowl with her dress and they scoop out, how much grain do you want? Just keep, just keep putting it in there. How much can you hold? And Jesus says, if you give, it will be given, pressed down, shaken together, running over. It's a picture of a woman leaving the marketplace with so much grain and what she could contain for herself that she literally couldn't hold on to it all. But here's the problem. None of you are giving happily. You're writing that check like it's your money instead of God's. And God's like, oh my God. How much is your mortgage? How much is all that blah, 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 blah? Just give it, and I'll send it, yo. <laughs> send it. We are so hung up on what we've created down here, and we're scared to give it up. Sunday's coming. Jesus is coming back. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Stack your money up there. It's not your money. Give it happily. There you go. Woo! So here's the problem, right? And I'm not saying, I should probably take two weeks on this. I'm not saying this in context of prosperity gospel, and I hope you notice that. There are men that are driving Bentleys, and I just read a book, it will blow your mind, called uh, God, Greed, and the Prosperity Gospel. We are not a prosperity church. We're not. It, it's, it does <laughs> These men are literally going to third world countries and promising to them, if you give everything you have, God's going to heal you from that disease. They're collecting and they're running. There's millions of people in their wake that have literally died because they have given to this prosperity gospel and the promises were unfulfilled. You will never, ever, ever hear me preach a message that says, just give and God will take away all your problems. Just give and God will take away all your suffering. That is a lie. We should endure hardness as a good soldier. We should enter into suffering because the gospel, part of the gospel is looking. Paul said the fellowship of his sufferings. Paul went through it. Why? Because it's a testimony to those when they see us going through hard times, when they see us writing checks that only God can cash and having faith to move forward. I am not a prosperity preacher. I will come with you, and, and Sarah and I, like, we have been through those moments. We could enter into those moments tomorrow. You know, life can change just like that. I could get sick and have nothing tomorrow. 
Are you going to leave me? Can you stay with me? <laughs> Are you cool with it? We've already determined. It's not ours. The health of my child is not mine. That's God's. I've watched my sister go through that. That child's life is not hers. Hannah and Samuel, it's God's. I'm not preaching something to you that I do not believe. There have been times in my life where I have stood on principle, which meant I took a what? A pay cut. (laughs) And literally we had nothing. Literally, we were like, oh, we had less than nothing because we owed quite a bit. And we're like, are we going to lose our house? Are we going to make it? I literally, I had my truck 11 years. Like, let's just talk about this. Can I just, can you feel sorry for me for a minute? <laughs> I had a green Ford Ranger that I loved. I paid cash for it when I was 17 years old. I loved that truck. I had it 11 years. And we got to the point where we had to sell it. I had to sell my vehicle. We had to go down, oh, God help, one vehicle. You know what I mean? I'm just saying, like, first world problems. But still, we got to a point where everything that we had, it wasn't like we were long in the tooth with credit cards. We lived within our means, and they were gone. So it's like, oh, God, what do I do? Sell it. Sell your phones. Sell your computers. Sell your stuff. Okay. Give happily. And we continued to give. We continued when we made X because we had a commitment that we made to God. It wasn't a number freaky thing. We've, we've talked, I've talked about that with some of the elders. It's like putting a number on God is a mistake. We knew what we had committed. It was, it was a vow that we made to God, and we continued to give it. It doesn't mean that you're going to come through all of your financial hardships. It rather could mean the opposite. It means that you're happy going through whatever. God loveth a Some of you guys, what you need to do, and I'm not saying this for the church's sake, we're good. God's going to take care of us. I don't mean we're good like we got it. I'm saying I know God has us. (laughs) I'm speaking from a place of being confident in this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you, he will perform, Philippians 1.6. It's not on me. It's not on you. It's on him. So he's going to do his thing. But my point is, is some of you, you need to get out your checkbook and write a big check. Why? Because you're like a stale Christian. You're like a Pharisee. You haven't put God. Malachi says, prove God that I'm going to do it. Y'all haven't walked away with more grain than you know what to do with from the marketplace ever. You're like, man, that sounds really good. Then have the faith to take the step. Has God been faithful to us, babe? Over and over and over. And I'm not even just talking about in here. We're getting into the point now where it's like we're making this transition to just giving through the church again because going through a church plant is interesting. You know, we're, (laughs) it's crazy. Um, But now it's like, man, what's next? How much could we do? Like God has been so faithful to us. We're happy to do it. We do it sacrificially. If it's not sacrificial, then... Is it really gospel-centered? The whole point of the gospel is that it's a sacrifice. Do you see? We're quick to wear a cross, but we're not quick to bear a cross. Man, that was good. That's, I don't even know where that came from. Shoot. <laughs> we're quick to put one on, but we're not quick to pick ours up. Pastor Matt, I've just never done it before. I'm so scared. It's cool. Just do it. Just do it. Nike, yo. You know, plenty of the world 
Ugh. How do I get it through? If a, if a super rich investor walked in here, if Mark Cuban, there we go, if Mark Cuban walked through the door and stood in front of all of you and said, okay, whatever you can muster up to give me, whatever you can muster up to give me, I'll double it. I'll double it. Within a week, it'll be in your account. I'll double it. All of you know that Mark Cuban has enough money to double everything we have times 10, right? I just want to go shoot hoops at the Dallas Maverick Arena. That's all I want to do. Come on, yo. Son. I don't want your money. I just want to go play ball where the Mavericks play. If he said that to you, you would go and you would write the biggest check you could. If it was a guarantee. A guarantee! (laughs) Double that thing! We wouldn't think twice about it. Because in our mind, what? We, watch this, we see it. The man's got it. It's a contract. He's proven it. Huh. Hebrews 11.1. 1. Now, faith is the substance of things. The evidence of things. I just can't help you with that part. You have to say, I trust God more than Mark Cuban. You cannot serve God and mammon. That's what I'm saying. You're literally going to work trusting your boss, which in turn means you're trusting your ability to perform over God. Let's just get nitty gritty. How many people have we seen that have gotten sick, that have been unable to do, and therefore have lost? Church, I'll put my faith in Jesus before I put my confidence in any man or institution on this earth. But let me ask you, before you agree with me, does your bank account say that that's true for you? This is a really tangible thing. Do you see that? This is a super tangible, real life, like, when the rubber meets the road. Okay, I got to finish, I think. Yeah. Give sacrificially, give regularly. Here's the questions. You need to write these down. You need to get a pen out. Get a pen out. Get your phone out. Get your phone out, your pen. Type this to yourself. Here's what you need to ask yourself. How do I know if it's enough? How many are wondering that, right? This is what I ask myself. How do I know if it's enough, if what I'm doing is enough? Does anybody, does anybody wonder that? Be honest. How many of you wonders if what you're doing is enough for God? Just Miss Grace? Anybody else? Okay, good, thank you. I want, every day I wake up and I go, is it enough, right? That's a, that's a normal, that, yeah, you take a picture of the slide. Good idea, Frank. This is a normal thing that we should be asking ourselves. I bet you money all the disciples got their moleskins out when Jesus was telling the story and they were thinking like, oh my goodness, how do I live today like it's my last day on the job, right? Because every disciple had a moleskin notebook. (laughs) How do I know if it's enough? Number one, this is it. What do you talk about? What do you talk about? This is super granular. When I wrote this down, I was like, okay, good. I'm gonna ask myself these questions every day. Every day. What do you talk about? Number two, what is next for, for the family? Number three, if you were to die tomorrow, who would be affected? Let's put a dollar with that. If you were to die tomorrow, what effort would we have to stop at the church because you were the one that was propelling it financially? Let's, let's make sense of this. What do you talk about? I just can't wait for vacation. 
I get it. I get it, but kind of not really. Do we talk about our vacations, babe? She's like, we don't even take them, yo. <laughs> our vacations are me doing less here. Are me just sitting here going, what's next? <laughs> I'm consumed with it. I am absolutely, utterly consumed with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Beyond consumed. Pray for her, please. <laughs> what is next for your family? Our conversations, we, have, we try to have weekly meetings, um, and she beats me up and tells me all the things I didn't do right. But no, we have, week, we have weekly meetings, weekly financial meetings, weekly schedule meetings, we, of course, share calendars. All of our things together are communicating over what is next for our family. Most of it is centered around how do we teach our children to have a gospel-centered perspective? And I think we're winning at that. I think you would agree, right? We're winning. Catechisms, scriptures, prayers, stories, we're constantly pouring in, teaching our daughter now to give, teaching our daughter now to just, if you have it, consider using that resource for someone else. So the basic things, what's next for your family? What have you talked about? A trip, the next house, the next car. It's very easy, isn't it, to determine whether or not you're giving enough. Here's why. Where your, tre- <laughs> Where your treasure is, there will your... We'll have a church full of people who are like, I'm ready for my ministry, Pastor Matt. What is next? Who are we reaching? What are we doing? I got a big idea for the community. This is going to be epic. Why? What has gotten into them? They started giving. The people who are most excited in the church are the people who match their excitement with their wallets. The people who are leading in our church right now are the people who are giving. I want to embarrass a lady so bad, but I'm not going to do it. Your, why can't I just get into the Bible? Why can't I just get into prayer? Why can't I just get into the things of God at church? It's very simple. Put your money there, and your heart will be there. You've not invested in it at all. At all. I don't expect for you to be faithful in attendance. I don't expect for you to show up every week. I don't expect for you to actually invest in the kids program that you benefit from. I don't expect for you to actually care about whether your coworkers are going to heaven or going to hell. Why? Because you haven't spent any money towards it. I'm just being real. Ask yourself these questions. What do you talk about? I talk about my problems. Hmm. I know who can fix that. What's next for your family? If you were to die tomorrow, who would be affected? Hmm. Well, I don't really know. Maybe my kids, because I'm financially... Okay, same thing. In this story, Jesus said... Make friends with those that are of the mammon. Why? Because when you're led into eternity, you're going to be there to meet them and bring them in. To whom much is given, much is required. I know I've gone over today. The point is, there are people around you that are dying and and they're going to go to hell because you have not told them about the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're surrounded by people that are suffering and we have the drug to fix it. We have the medicine to fix the problem, and it's the gospel. Why are you withholding it? Oh, because your heart's not in it. Why is your heart not in it? 
I'll let you figure that one out. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Man, what a truth.